Beloved, this morning we are gathered together in the presence of God to remember his sovereignty in death as in life as we lay to rest the earthly remains of Brandon James Kale, and we seek God's word and we seek his comfort for our hearts in this time of loss. As we come to worship the Lord of life, the Psalms remind us our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And also, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his holy ones. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Let us pray. Eternal and almighty God, before whom generations of men rise and pass away. We come before you this day through our Savior Jesus Christ. As you have given us life, so you have also appointed the time of our death. As you give, so you also take away. That we might remember our frailty and trust in you alone as the foundation of all hope and life. In this time of grief and loss, this time of mourning and sorrow, you alone can provide true consolation. Therefore, we wait upon you with reverent and submissive hearts and pray that you would proclaim your grace and peace to us in this difficult hour. Great God of our salvation, speak to us through your word of things eternal. And so bring comfort and hope and courage to your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our first hymn this morning, you'll find the words printed in your bulletin and also on the screen. A mighty fortress is our God. Let's rise together to sing. is our God, a bulwark never failing.
seated. Where can those who find hope, who mourn in times of loss, hear the testimony of the Old Testament, which reminds us of the immortality of the soul, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal life for all of those who believe? In Job chapter 14, we read, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the work of your hands. For you number my steps and you do not observe my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you wrap up my iniquity. Psalm 37, depart from evil and do good. So you will abide forever, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God. Who gave it? Isaiah chapter 26. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. And finally, Job chapter 19. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, after death. Yet from my flesh, I shall see God. That's the resurrection. Whom I myself shall behold. And whom my eyes shall see and not another. One of the Old Testament texts that Brandon asked to be read at his funeral was the 23rd Psalm. Many of us know it well. You'll find it printed in your bulletin. Let's rise together and recite that Psalm now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please be seated. And now hear the testimony from just a few of the many New Testament texts that speak of the resurrection of the body and eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave to his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life, those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And finally, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as do the rest of those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The Apostle Paul there tells the Christians at Thessalonica not to grieve as the world grieves, like those who have no hope. Please note, he doesn't say, Christians do not grieve. It would be unthinkable for us not to grieve the loss of one that was so deeply loved. Jesus himself wept at the death of Lazarus. Death is real. It's an enemy that no one can escape. And every one of us will face it. So how can we thank and praise God as we encounter death Yet again, and our hearts are breaking with sorrow by grieving with hope. For as real as death is, as real as grief and sorrow is, there is also a sure and certain hope of salvation. For all of those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, that's our hope for Brandon. It's the hope of all who believe. So yes, we grieve this time of loss. 
But we grieve in light of God's unbreakable promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of the knowledge that Brandon is now at home, in the presence and the glory of his Savior. Our next hymn this morning is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Please rise together with me to sing. this time, some of Brandon's family members would like to come forth and share memorials. So I would invite you all to come forward one at a time up here to the pulpit to speak.
Good morning. Just want to take some time to kind of give you some insight into what Brandon believed. We watched this journey for over two and a half years. We watched how he had the strength, the courage, to stare death in the face and not flinch. You all, most everybody in this room and countless others followed it, followed his story. And along the way, he said, he didn't ask why me, he said, why not me? I'm going to try to give you some insight as to why he had this, this, this assurance. I'm going to read a few passages from the, from the Bible. Again, just to lead up to what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. By the way, he was an excellent son, a brother, a husband, a father, a nephew, a friend, co-worker, and above all, he's a true believer and follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that was the root, that was the strength, that's what he drew on. And I'm not saying that's not meant to take anything away because that takes courage. And it takes faith. And he had both of those. And that's why. And I know if he were here to speak to you today, I know his greatest hope would be that you would choose to follow Christ and that you would have that assurance. And we need, when, this is a day of celebration for him because he is with God. Absence from the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So he's in God's eternal kingdom. And we all hope to join him there. And there's only one way. It's through Christ. This world we live in, this culture we live in, tells us all kinds of things. But remember, the devil is a master deceiver. The cross was meant to be defeat. And what did it turn into? It's, it's victory. Death is meant to be defeat, but it's victory. We have to believe. And I'm going to read a few passages. Bear with me. First of all, I know I'm, when we ask the question, why, why so young? 38 years old. Everything to live for. Beautiful family, 10 kids. His wife and all, I mean, he would think, why? I mean, and our question comes, why? Why, Lord? I mean, you have to understand, we're, we're not going to understand everything, okay? We don't have the capacity to understand God. He's the creator of the universe. That's who we're dealing with. That's why we must trust. We know that he's perfect. He's all good. Can do no, no wrong. And, and if there's anything, any doubt, it's with us. It's not with him. He is perfect. We are flawed. And, one day, and through death, we'll be made perfect. These passages, first of all, I was going to say from why, why so young? And this passage hit me a while back when I was reading through the Bible. It's from Isaiah 57, one, verse 1 and 2. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it, open, lays it to heart. 
Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their righteousness. Uprightness. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what awaits us. That's what we have. That's what God is preparing for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let Let these words sink in and take them for what they are. The real, what makes the difference is we need to live as though we believe God's promises because they're real. And again, I'm giving you insight as to what gave Brandon this strength. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 8. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are all good, of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building. We live in a tent now, we're going to have a building. From God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And you heard 1 Corinthians, the pastor not 1st Thessalonians verse 4 I'm going to read 13 through 18 but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep not dead asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope for since we believe that Jesus died and, and rose again even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep again fallen asleep not dead 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 20. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead for the first fruits the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Sleep, sleep, that's what death is. Just to give you, Brandon not only read the Bible, he studied the Bible. And he took it at its word, he took it to heart. And that's why throughout this whole ordeal, eyes were upon him watching. And just, I mean, how many people said, how does he do this? How does he face this? I don't understand this. Well, he had the peace that passes all understanding. And the good news is that we all have that opportunity. It's not complicated. It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. It can't get any easier than that. But at the same time, it's a cross we need to carry. Because we need to crucify the flesh. Because it's corrupted. The devil corrupted it. We fell. 
in the garden, and it's been corrupted, and now God's plan is to bring us back. In the plan, we have to go through death. We all prayed in this room, beyond this room, many people throughout this country, I can tell you, and even throughout the world, prayed for a healing. Because we're, we're frail. We don't want to miss Brandon. We want him to be there. We want him to share our lives together. But we're frail. We're, it's the human condition. But we can't, we can't lose sight of what really matters. Again, we prayed for his healing. God had other plans. <clears throat> Keep in mind that even if he did heal Brandon, he would have to die again, just like we all do. God raised Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't because that, that isn't why Jesus came. It wasn't he didn't come to heal the sick and raise the dead. He came, those were signs that, that he had authority to do what he was doing, that he was with the Father, and it was confirmation. So again, keep that in mind, because, you know, Brandon was healed. God's plan is to heal us through death. The devil holds death over us. It's its great, his greatest threat. But when you're in Christ, there's no fear. Death has no sting. And the devil knows that. And he does everything he can to have us despair and think there's nothing beyond here. But that's the greatest lie. And when you break through this barrier, you find out, you find out, you get the greatest reward. And we can't even fathom that. This is what I want to try to, to reach you. And you know what? All goodness comes from God. And if there's, so if there's any good coming from these words, it's not from me. It's God reaching out to you. And if I falter, that's me. Because the self is an enemy of God, then that's why it has to be crucified. Anybody who has not taken that step to follow Christ, I, I urge you, the time is of the essence. Make the step. Don't be deceived. Death is the greatest thing that can happen to us because we're released from the troubles, the pain, the sorrow of this world to go to eternal happiness in a perfect world where God has God is preparing it for us. He has a building for us. And we can't imagine what that's about. So yes, we're sorrowful now. There's sorrow now, but there's also hope because we, we, we believe, when you believe. But at the same time, if you are not a believer... It is a horrible thing because you, you spend eternity with the devil and all goodness is gone. All goodness comes from God. And so we, you, we, you know, if you don't follow Christ, then you have, a, you have a, a, a bad, it's something to be very, very fearful of. Don't waste time if you haven't made that decision. Make the decision. You don't have to work for it. Just believe, have faith like Brandon did. So the evil cancer took Brandon's life. In the process, it destroyed itself. It killed itself and freed Brandon to go on to eternity. So what it meant for evil, God meant for good. And just because we can't see that with our eyes doesn't mean it's real. What's, what we can't see is more real than what we see. 
You can't imagine the, the depths of the ocean right now. You can't imagine living in you know, the, the far ends of the earth. The Arctic, the Antarctic, it's out there, it's real. You can fly there, you can get there. Just like heaven is real, we can get there, but you've got to go through this gate. And when you go through this process, you're free. You're in God's kingdom. That's, you know, that you can't, I, you know, you, you just can't fathom what he has waiting for us. I'm, and I, and that's, that's what gives us the assurance. That's what gave Brandon the assurance. That's where his strength came from. This culture talks about death as though it's the worst thing that can happen to you, but it isn't. There are other things that are worse than death. One is living without honor. And the worst thing that can happen is you die in your sins. That's the worst thing. That's why. Now make that move. Make that step. And on top of all that, the body's not left behind. God's plan is, is it, it's perfect. It's great. He actually takes the body and purifies it and he unites it with the spirit. So we don't leave anything behind. The dead will be raised. It's only a matter of time. And you know what? The older you get here, the, you realize how fast time goes. In a blink of an eye, before you know it, you, you, know, you wonder how you got here. As I said, I know Brandon would like nothing more than all of you. All those he's reached, I know he preached. He tried to, the more, most importantly, he lived by example. Take it to heart. Think. Think about these words. It makes all the difference in the world. Live as though it's real. I'm going to try to do one thing here. It might be a little off script, but I don't tend to follow scripts. experience where I was not at peace with my situation and um, really I can just say that 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 comes from my faith my perspective was that we were putting our family in God's hands and that God's plan for my family was supreme and uh, that, that I was going to trust in that Thank you. Sorry for crying. Do my best. Just please pray that the Holy Spirit will work through me.
I think that for most of us women, we find out when we're going to be mothers, we come to a new knowledge and capacity for fear. There's a deep-seated dread that anything could ever happen to our precious baby and take them away from us. And for me, that time has come as it has come for others of you, and I'm sorry for your loss as well. The grief is what you would expect. But I can also say truly that because I unequivocally trust in Brandon's being with God in paradise, I also have deep gratitude, blessed assurance of his peace. And I do have joy, not happiness, by any stretch of the imagination, as I do and always will miss my beautiful, smiling boy, but I have joy and knowing that he is doing what we all hope for. He is basking in the radiance of God's perfect and eternal love. I've told this story many times, and I, and I do apologize to those of you who have to endure it once more. But when I had Brandon, I wasn't married. When I found out I was expecting him, and that prenatal journey was difficult. At times, it was heart-wrenching. But God did have a plan. He had a plan. I was sitting in the living room of my parents' home. It was late at night. I was by myself. And all of a sudden, I felt that very first kick. And it was a supernatural feeling of love. I'm sorry. But it was. And it just washed over me. And I won't ever forget it. It was a great gift. I took it for granted that I would be a mother that I even wanted to be a mother. And then God gave me the desires of my heart instilled them within me and he brought them to fruition. I frequently told my children that the eight days that I gave birth were the absolute best of my life. And they are aware that they are the joy of my life. But as time goes on, I realize that this is actually the second, and it is the second greatest joy to be surpassed only and knowing that my children are walking with Jesus, that they are loving him, pursuing him, honoring him, representing him, and that they are sharing that love and knowledge with others, firmly establishing that he is their Savior and Lord. This, in turn, assures us of our reunion one day. Brandon accepted this truth for himself when he was 18 years old, and he never strayed from that walk. As Jesus is with us, Brandon was faithful and true to that love until his last breath. As none of us is, Brandon was not perfect, 
but he was an exceptional man in many ways. He was considerate and compassionate, expecting excellence in himself and in others and desiring to be a genuine reflection of Christ's love. In living out his faith, Brandon was compelled to share it in hopes that others would be able to see the truth and the hope that is in Jesus Christ and accept his eternal life-giving sacrifice, the sacrifice of his life for themselves. Excuse me. Before I close, I'd like to share some of these small facts that you might care to recall about Brandon. He was a lifelong communicator from the time he was three, and he would call his sit-to or cousins and chat to his adult years, teaching elementary students and then managing six radio stations and taking part in forming a game plan for that company, LHTC Media. Brandon thrived in social situations and he treasured growing up in our very large extended family. He even credited there being a primary reason for walking the straight and narrow to the extent that he did as a teen. He did not want to misrepresent the family or let us down. Not having a TV while he was growing up, he still managed to be a devoted follower of the Pittsburgh sports teams by means of the newspaper and radio and he was able to indulge further upon his establishing his own household. This was something that he enjoyed sharing with his own children. During his teen years, Brandon was a big fan of power ballads and songs by various boy bands, which he would belt out in a quasi-falsetto. This was perplexing to the rest of us, but he was unapologetic. It is true. Brandon, also from a very early age, would appreciate various outstanding talents in people, from Whitney Houston singing the national anthem to his brother's athletic pursuits. He liked to share YouTube videos of outstanding feats and performances in disparate fields. When Brandon accepted Christ as a savior, his life turned on a dime. He made efforts to mend relationships. He changed his attitude towards school, and he graduated magna cum laude. He lost 90 pounds within three months. He went on mission trips to Florida, which wasn't much of a sacrifice there, but he also went to San Salvador. Brandon was one to enjoy food, cooking, eating, creating, sharing that appreciation with his family. He was not one to shy away from a constructive criticism or unsolicited advice as to how to improve a dish. While developing a taste for almost anything he tried, he never in his 38 years came to appreciate blue cheese. That's not his thing. Lastly, while I am wildly partial, I must say that his smile, and I know you guys concur, has been his signature attribute from his earliest days until he could no longer. You all may think that this service is for Brandon, and it is in large part. He 
has been the recipient of much love and respect, and he was humbled and grateful for it. But it's also about the message that he lived to share. That is what this is about, because he's there, and he wants you all to know. To know and accept and trust. From the bottom of my heart, I am confident in saying that he would be most honored and knowing that those of us who believe would be heartened. And for those of you who may not have accepted Christ for themselves yet, that you would do so now. I feel no arrogance in stating that I know that. Had he in his earthly form known that his testimony would be instrumental in others coming to that saving knowledge, he would be greatly pleased. He would truly be joyful. God bless you all. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I can't help but think it is a good morning indeed when my brother is with Christ. Through all the grief, I keep reminding myself of that. It is a good morning. Let me get right into it here as I know I'm going to go over the allotted time. Brandon was an excellent big brother. He took his responsibility seriously, teaching us in various sports we enjoyed together, yelling encouragement and instructions during wrestling matches and sharing plenty of advice with us in our teen and adult years. As any great big brother will do, he also tremendously enjoyed antagonizing the younger brothers too. He was my partner in a game we devised together in the playroom called Crash Cars, where we took Hot Wheels cars and rammed them into one another, giving points for one car flipping the other onto its back. We had well over a hundred of these cars and would spend hours holding double elimination tournaments in the basement of our Bethel Park house. He was occasionally my partner in crime as well, going back to when I was four or so, and we threw snowballs at cars near our house on Paul Street in Mount Washington. On that occasion, I ran and hid in a pine tree in a neighbor's yard, and Brandon got caught somewhere on the street. I don't think I've ever apologized for that before, so I say now I'm sorry for bailing on you there, Brandon. He had a rifle of an arm on the baseball diamond and an apparition of a knuckleball in our backyard wiffle ball games. Try as I might, I never mastered that pitch even close to the way he did. He wasn't the best at ping pong amongst us brothers, but he was a worthy opponent. His greatest strength, his slam, was also his tragic flaw. I still remember how immediately after serving, he would predictably jump to the side of the table so that he could unleash his forehand every single time. He got me my first job at Taco Bell when I needed to pay my parents back for a camcorder that was stolen on my watch. I was in a couple of bands in high school, and during one basement practice in our house, my temper got the better of me. Hard to imagine, I know. 
in an argument with a bandmate, and I challenged him to a fight. Brandon was there, fortunately, rushed in to physically restrain me until I cooled down. That wasn't the only time that he stepped in as the cooler-headed oldest brother, and I'm thankful that I had him there to protect me from myself on those occasions. Brandon was a wordsmith. He was eloquent, perhaps even verbose at times. He loved learning new words and energetically trotting them out in conversation, not giving a darn whether you knew what they meant or not. I distinctly remember learning one such word from him, which he wrote in a group text message, consanguineous, which means of the same blood or origin, specifically descended from the same ancestor. I too love words and for reasons of pride, when I looked that one up, I never told him. <laughs> Can't help but think now what an excellent word that is to learn from your oldest brother. Shortly after Brandon received his diagnosis, he reached out to me to ask me to help record his memoirs, which to this day I consider to be one of the greatest honors anyone has bestowed upon me. Brandon was still in good health, had all of his mental faculties about him, and was perfectly capable of doing the job on his own, he thought that I could add value. That means a great deal to me. While the project is currently unfinished, we did manage to get many stories and notes down on paper, and I will do my best to orchestrate them into a cohesive whole as soon as possible. I could continue here for hours on end about Brandon's positive qualities, his comical misdeeds, such as the infamous porta potty attack in his teens, and the things that I admire most about him. Indeed, I believe that I'll take all of this up in my work on his memoirs. Right now though, I'd like to address the topic that I know would be of the utmost priority for Brandon, his faith. Is there anyone here who's surprised to learn that Brandon is a follower of Christ? I didn't think so. My brother Brandon lived his faith as though he were shot out of a cannon. Once that fire was ignited in him, he never stopped moving forward. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, responding to a man who states that he will begin following Jesus right after he goes home to say goodbye to his family, Jesus tells him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Brandon put his hand to the plow and never looked back. Throughout his final mortal trial, Brandon never once complained to me about the pain or the disorientation that he was experiencing, though I know both were considerable. He also never requested that I pray for his body to be healed or for anything else concerning himself, which I, of course, did anyway. And I know with certitude that he wanted to remain here with his wife and children for as long as the Lord would permit. My purpose in conveying this is not merely to testify to his mental fortitude and selflessness, which were unshakable, but rather, I wish to relate these facts to you as testimony to the singular focus with which Brandon practiced his faith. When Brandon received his diagnosis, our lives were indelibly disrupted. For Brandon, not much changed. I want to be clear about what I mean by that. Of course, his body had entered a state of demise, and I'm sure that he must have mentally and emotionally battled to some degree with the uncertainty that the disease brought with it. However, Brandon epitomized Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, in which Jesus instructs us 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brandon placed his treasure in heaven the moment he gave his life to Christ. As such, upon receiving what was effectively a death sentence here in the guise of grade four glioblastoma, Brandon's response to the news was hopeful and pragmatic. There was no frenetic scramble to do things that he hadn't yet done. There was no sudden panic to right past wrongs. There was no frantic bargaining with God to be allotted more time. Brandon had already been, de been living deliberately and purposefully for the 20 years since he had been saved. As such, in response to the latest grim prognosis, he sought to shield all of those he loved and still loves from heaven from the weight of the grieving process to come. He sought to all of the planning for his passing. Even as he battled his physical decline, this was important to him to spare others. Furthermore, he asked Gabriel, Noah, and I to teach his sons how to work out and train. He asked me to teach Tyke and Trey to hunt, as he believed that this would be a good life skill for them both. These are only the details of which I'm aware. I'm sure that others here can share more examples of how Brandon sought to take care of his loved ones after he had gone on to be with the Lord. I would like to take a moment now to address Brandon's cherished family. Carrie, Brandon's devotion to you knew no end. He only ever spoke of you to me with love and respect. He loves you still. As with everything else in his life, Brandon lived his faith, and his marriage was no exception. His love is a direct reflection of Christ's love for the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Brandon took these words to heart, and I encourage you to find comfort in his faithfulness to you and his enduring love for you. To my wonderful nieces and nephews, your father loves you. He delighted in telling me, and I'm sure countless others, anecdotes about your developments, achievements, talents, and witty things you've said. In one of the last conversations that I had with your father, he told me that he put his hope for your salvation in God's hands because there was no better place for it. I pray that you will follow your dad's example and entrust your hopes and your lives to Christ as well. Not merely as a one-time act, but to live your faith daily as your father did. This was his most fervent desire for you. For all of the struggles that you may have throughout your lives, as long as I am here, I want you to know now that you can always talk to me. To Tyke specifically, I want to share a prayer request from your dad to me, as well as your uncles Gabe and Noah. He knew that you would soon be the man of the house. As such, he wrote to us, please ask that God would grant him a strong faith, daily grace, and surround him with those who will love, encourage, and support him. This is my prayer for you and will continue to be. Brandon's actions in the face of death are a testament to us all. Brandon knew where he was going, and he wants us all to go there with him. This is of paramount importance. 
and I would be doing him and everyone gathered here today whom he loves a great disservice if I didn't share with you the promise of eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. In closing, I rejoice in these truths. Brandon's belief in Christ is now knowledge of him. His suffering has transcended into peace that passes understanding. His sorrow has transformed into eternal joy in the presence of our Creator. I love you, Brandon. I will see you soon. Uncle John, that's what Brandon called me. We shared some really great times together. And all the while I thought maybe I was influencing him to be a better person, to be a Christian. You know, maybe I was, and I probably did, because that was a God's will for us. But you know, when it came down to it, it was him, in the end, who inspired me. The way he lived as a, just as a person, as a husband, as a father, as an honest person, as a, as a worker. Just as a patient, gentle, beautiful person. We had many debates at times about things in God's word because Brandon would call you out. You know, if you said something, he wanted, the, he wanted the facts about it. And he knew. He had a lot of wisdom, Brandon. And we just had some really, uh, really good times together in the Lord when we shared with each other. And I know we all prayed for a miracle, everybody here. Maybe even expected a miracle. But you know, God's not finished. The real miracle is in what Brandon really wanted. And the real miracle is that everybody here, everybody who knew him would become saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, would accept that and become a born-again Christian, mainly for his beautiful ten children and his beautiful young wife. That's the legacy Brandon would have. That's the miracle that God isn't finished with. So don't think that God didn't have a miracle. God has a bigger miracle. The miracle that really matters. So let's all go forward in that miracle. Let's all take it each day. Let's look to Jesus. Let's call on Jesus. You know, when things go bad, when things don't go your way, when you have tragedy, you have different choices you can make. You can get indifferent towards God. You can get bitter towards God. But really, you can get closer to God. And you know that's what Brandon would want for all of us now. Take this time, get closer to God. That may take time. But you know that's God's will for all of us. 
that we just keep getting closer to God. You can question, you can do whatever you want, but when it comes down to it, you just need to keep getting closer to God. Just like when Jesus asked his followers, will you leave also? And Peter said, where are we going? Where can you go? You have something better? You have nothing better ever. You go towards God. In times of trouble, in times when you don't understand, go towards God. And you'll find that he'll give you what you need on the inside to do what you've got to do. And that's just keep getting closer to him. And we just thank you, Father. We thank you for our brother Brandon, for his beautiful family, his brothers, sisters, mother, father, and all that love him. We just thank you for Brandon, Father. And we thank you for the plan and purpose you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm uh, Brandon's Uncle Bob, and I um, came to uh, also be Brandon's friend and Brandon's brother in the Lord. I had the uh, privilege of really getting to know Brandon. From the year 2007 to 2014, we, uh, we worked together every weekend at the... Uh, Carnegie Science Center parking lots, and we just uh, got to know each other really well through that period. But I remember the first week or so when Brandon came, he was, uh, and I, mean, I knew him, I always knew, I know all my nephews and nieces, but, you know, sometimes we have so many, you don't have that much time to really get to know them. But I was so privileged that didn't have this time with Brandon. And uh, the first week or so was, he, he always called me Uncle Bob. You know, Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, okay. You know, and, and you know, it's beautiful. But all the people down there just called me Bob, and they were kids, too. You know, they were 17, 18, 20. And I told him, Brandon, you know, just, just call me Bob, that's okay. And he kind of, you know, turned his head like that, gave a big smile. You know what it is, and kind of twitched his nose a little, and he goes, "Okay, Uncle Bob," <laughs> and uh, I said, "Okay, man, it's okay, good," and I got to love it when he'd call me Uncle Bob. It was just great, and he was just so gracious, so kind to everyone. You know, whether it was a homeless person walking through the lot, wandering through, or the president of the science center, or the janitor, he was the same. You know, he was kind, he was gracious, he was just, he was just beautiful. And I just, I just uh, came to love him and uh, really appreciate him. And we got to know the family, Carrie, and all the children. We saw each one, like, 
coming along, you know, when there was two, then three, and four, and it was just, and he was so happy and so thrilled, you know, it was just, it was just, the times we had were just beautiful, and it was always talk about, about the Lord, about the Bible, about his family, about my family, you know, and it was just, um, we just had just a, just a, just a great relationship, and, and it's something to look forward to. I remember telling him, Brandon, when I leave this place, you're going to be one of the first people I look for when I get there. So you be ready for me. And uh, he came, uh, I had pneumonia about four or five weeks ago or something, and I was recovering. And he called me and asked, uh, be okay if I come and see you? Yeah, this is like maybe five, six weeks ago. And I said, Brandon, you know, you okay? And he's asked, he's worried about me. And I said, I'm okay, you know, I'm getting better. You know, and he said, can I come and see you? I said, okay, yeah, that'd be nice. So he came with Carrie and most of the children. I think Tyke and Trista had to work that day. And we just had a beautiful afternoon. You know, we had a little cookout. We sat on the patio. We talked like we always did about the Lord, about his family. And it was just a beautiful time. And when I saw him last was when Carrie had the open house and we went there and it was the same Brandon, beautiful smile, the same tilt of the head, the same just welcoming, so happy to see you. And it was, it was, it was a lot of people there, so I didn't have a lot of time you know, to spend with them. But at the end, you know, we prayed for him. And, uh, and I said to him, you know, afterwards, I said, you know, Brandon, you, you, I said, you, you're my hero, man. And then I thought for a second, I said, you know, I never said that to anyone in my life. I never said you're my hero. But it came out, and I said it. And uh, he looked at me like and smiled and said, thanks, Uncle Bob. I, I, I love you. I love you. And, I just was overcome with emotion. I couldn't say anything, just kind of got up and, and we left. And now I can say, Brandon, thank you. Thank you for showing so many, myself and so many people, how, how to live, how to live your faith, how to love God and love your family and everyone you meet, you've made an impact on. Thank you for that. And even maybe more important, thank you for showing all of us how to leave, how to leave this earth. Your faith is just beautiful, and now it's, it's not no longer unseen, it's seen. And you're with your Savior, and, uh, and we will see you soon, man. And you know I love you. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you, man. Thank you. Good morning, everyone.
like the two brothers before me, I am honored to be called uncle, and I'm Uncle Dan. I've had the privilege of knowing and loving Brandon for the last 30-some years. A special person, an inspiration to me and my family. <clears throat> Please bear with me if I get <clears throat> a little emotional as I speak. Like all of you, I, I hurt today. <clears throat> Three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell of a woman <clears throat> who had a medical condition that caused her severe suffering for 12 years. <clears throat> she believed that if she could touch the cloak of Jesus, she would be, <clears throat> she would be healed. As Jesus traveled through her village with a large crowd all around him, she managed to get close, close enough to reach out and touch his cloak. Immediately, she was healed. <clears throat> Jesus turned to the crowd and he asked, who touched me? His disciples didn't understand because it was such a large crowd. Everybody was touching him. And again, Jesus asked, who touched me? He had felt the power of healing go out of him. Afraid that she had done something wrong, the woman fell at his feet and admitted her transgression. <coughs> Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. <laughs> I prayed every day, <laughs> excuse me, for the last two and a half years, and I'm sure you have also, for Brandon to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak and be healed. As weeks and months went by, it seemed as though our prayers went unanswered. However, looking back, I recall that every time, and I mean every time, I saw Brandon during his illness, he was the same. As some of my, the previous speakers mentioned, he never changed. Whether it was whether it was beating us in a game of Scrabble in Tennessee or engaging in conversation on his front porch or talking about some of the crazy stories members of my family lived to tell. His look, his attitude, his spirit, his smile, and what a wonderful smile. He was always the same, always asking how I was doing, interested in what was going on in my life, Never once did I hear him ask or hint or even imply, why me, Lord? I got the feeling that he knew something that I didn't. Today, I realize that our prayers have been answered. Brandon was reaching out and touching the cloak of Jesus from the moment he was diagnosed. Jesus didn't, <coughs> Jesus didn't have to ask who touched me. He knew it was Brandon from that <laughs> very first day, Brandon was tugging at our Lord's coat, cloak. Today I can hear him say <laughs> to our Brandon, 
forgive me. Son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I just, right now I'm speaking on behalf of my family. Um, I just ask you a lot of patience with me. Um, whenever um, it was about the night or the, the night after um, dad passed, I'm always going around asking um, who would like to speak at this event and she goes down to Tyke and Tyke didn't want to do it and then the other kids and they all didn't want to and so mom said she really felt that one of us should speak because we were there to the very end um, through everything um, so Willing but unwilling, I um, did it, um, and I said, I'll do it, um, just because I feel like you guys should know, just from kind of like an inside perspective, like just how things were. Um, so uh, I just wanted to start off with one story that I had. Um, That, um, you know, ever since I was little, my dad has been there for me and my family. Um, whether it was for our sports, he um, loved to encourage us with that, um, with our softball, baseball. And when the boys were younger, they did wrestling. Um, he was there to cheer for us whenever we kind of felt like, <laughs> Dad, I hate my team right now can't stand my coach. They're about to, they're about to get it. He'd be like, can't do that, first of all. They just don't. And he'd also be like, just do your best. You can't worry about what everyone else is doing. You can just only work on you. So that was something that always, and will always stick with me. And then another one is for schoolwork. Um, I I'm pretty good at schoolwork, not so fry. I don't, I'm, I get good grades and all, but um, one thing that I kind of didn't do best in was math. Um, dad would always have to be like, I'd always have to go to dad and be like, dad, how do I do this? This doesn't make any sense. Especially since I was cyber school or homeschooled, and I 
my teachers, it's kind of hard to connect to your teachers through those, whenever they're not right there. Um, so I go to dad for different things um, with that, with math. And then um, I remember this one time, it was for language arts. Um, you can ask my siblings. I kind of, I'm kind of a pushover. I'm, if you ask me enough and hard enough, I'll give in. <laughs> and um, I know many people have yelled at me for that, but so this one time um, I was at home. Dad was, it was for second surgery. Dad was in the hospital. Mom was with him. And I was completing this assignment on this book. Um, now this book was take, well, taken place a couple, like 100 years ago, so it's not the same. Same, um, just the ways weren't the same as they are now. And it was a book report that I was writing. And I was taking the time filling it out. And whenever I submitted it and got my grade back, I got 92%. Being me, I was bummed. <laughs> I was like, darn it, I worked really hard on that assignment. Just to get 92, even though in my school that's still an A, wasn't 100%. And so I was, the teacher put feedback on why the grade was, what it was, and she said that I did a great job. I met all the grading rubrics and um, I did a great job writing and summarizing the book. Just one thing was off, and that was I used an incorrect term. And I'm not going to go into detail what that term was because it's political related. Um, but I used this wrong term. Now, this was a term that was used in the book. And it's not like I made this term up or I took it from my family speaking. I didn't know what to put. So I put this term from this book. And um, she took points off because she took 8 points, 8% 8 off because I used this wrong political term. And so I'm upset because I shouldn't have gotten the grade that I did just because of the points off. And so I call mom up. She's in the hospital with dad. Um, by now, dad has already had his surgery, but it's not even 24 hours after time is up. And so um, I call mom, like, so guess what just happened to me? And she was upset. And you know how my mom has passion. She has fire. You can probably imagine how she was especially whenever it comes to a different topic like this. And she's like, you should probably just go and contact your teacher. Like, say, hey, why this is not right. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I mean, after all, it was still an A. My grade was still an A. It was only 8% off. And so I was like, I'm not really going to do that. And, yeah, she was a little bit upset with me, understandably didn't have that strength <laughs> um, but uh, so we were after talking for a little bit um, call ended a um, couple of, like a couple hours later she calls back and she's like what was the name of the teacher that graded your assignment and I'm like I don't really know I mean I don't really know my teachers um, but so I was like I'll go check um, I found found the name of the teacher, and I was like, here you go. She's like, why? She's like, because I told your dad what happened, and he's not happy. And 
Again, remember, it's not even 24 hours after he just had brain surgery. So, I'm just, it, and he was mad. And um, I'm like, okay, I mean, better to let them deal with it than me. I think they can have that. And so she hangs up. She's like, thanks, bye. And, um, you know, as the day goes on, you know, we're doing our um, daily routines. I have to finish schoolwork. And I call mom back just to see what happened. And she said, dad has been on the phone for hours trying to get to the teacher and yell at her for the grade that I got. Um, He just got out of his surgery, and he is trying to take care of me. Um, months later, Mom was telling me that Dad took pride in me as his daughter, something that I didn't, if I knew, I didn't appreciate it for what it was but I know he loved me and each one of my siblings. Um, uh, as for my siblings, I know that he loved helping them with baseball. And he's, for those of you that know my dad, he loved baseball. Above all the other sports, even for the Pirates and the Steelers, he, Steelers were the better team. Pirates, they don't really do too well. But he still loved baseball so much that he would – He'd still be cheering for the Pirates, and they have more losses than wins, generally. And you're just like, devotion <laughs> to your team. Um, but he loved helping the boys with their baseball. And um, Tyke, um, once he turned 13, he wasn't allowed to play in the same, like, league area as the younger boys were. And um, so most of you know that he um, got into fencing. Dad didn't know much about fencing. Um, of course, he was baseball, football, wrestling, things like that. And he didn't know much about fencing. But um, he would take the time to talk with Tyke and try to learn the sport. So he could have these conversations with his son. Um, so I know that. He just, he loved us, um, and um, one thing, I'm going to say that, so many, all the people that have come up to talk today have talked about Dad's faith, and, and you, everyone knows that he was a Christian, and that he followed God to the very end, and I remember this one lady at our church, she passed away, she went to be with the Lord, and it was a quite a few years ago, and Dad, um, so many people came up to talk about her faith, and I remember Dad being like, whenever I go, whenever I pass, that I want the same thing for me. I want people to know that I was Christian. I want people to come up and talk to me, talk about me and my faith, that, so that everybody will know that I was a believer. And um, and I'm so happy to see that his wish was fulfilled and all the people that have come to talk today. Um, 
Um, I just want to read this one verse, Romans 8.28. Most of you probably know it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Sometimes good, we all have different definitions of good. For some people, it could be that, you know, this thing would be good, and then I would be like, I don't think that's very good, and I'd be like, I don't think that's good. There's one perfect good, and that's God's good. And so, this is for the good. And I know that I don't understand it. I'll admit that right now. Just knowing I had to go through life with my siblings, know that my father won't be there. And to know that my mom won't have anyone to hold her, to love her, as a husband would. It's very hard. But for some reason, God said it was good. And that is perfect. Um, so I just want to say that. And so Dad loved God more. He loved Jesus and he followed him. So I know God, lo- I mean, Dad loved us kids. And he was, he'd always be there for us. And I know that my dad loved my mom. His last words were him trying to say, I love you, to my mom. His last emotions were him trying to, him trying to give my mom a hug. Because she was there with him to the very end. She would stay up all night, sitting beside his bed, just waiting for him to need something anything, whether he, he just woke up in the middle of the night and he was hungry and he wanted something, it doesn't matter what time it was, what she looked like, she would go and get whatever he needed. She was right there for him all the way through. Um, and she just, whenever he couldn't go to the bathroom by himself anymore, she was right there. She, I remember mom saying some of the things that she had to do to help dad and I just remember being like, ooh. I really hope it doesn't happen to me someday. And just saying that she would do it every time. She would take care of him. She would clean him every time. And um, whenever dad was still able to talk and with it, um, he told mom that she had missed her calling in life. And that was to be a nurse. Now, you know how mom is. She's passionate. And some... I wouldn't really think of mom as a nurse. No offense, mom. I love you. But I'm, I, I hope you guys can all agree that I don't think that would be really mom's calling. <laughs> but it was just because of how loving and caring she was towards dad that he said that. Um, that, as I said, this situation is hard. It's, it's difficult. It's taxing. Um, but I'm thankful for my circumstances because one, dad could have passed away that night in January, right then. It could have been whenever he had that grandma seizure. seizure. He could have passed away then. But instead he gave us almost two, he gave us two and a half years to be there and to take our time to know him and just spend time with him. Um, And so he was gracious and 
he, he always is. Um, and so um, I'm thankful because he also gave me two God-fearing parents because, you know, recently I've been looking at how some people don't have that growing up. Some people don't have two strong parents to love them and nurture them and to show them what is right and what is good and how great God is. And that is just a blessing that even though it was for only 14 years, I had a mother and a father that were together that loved me, took care of me and my siblings. Um, but, uh, and because of how my parents are, I have really truly, truly seen um, God's love and the agape love, um, love unconditionally. And how mom and was there for dad and how dad was there for mom. Um, so I just want to say that. Um, another, I just one last thing I want to add is that even though my, my earthly father is no longer with me in my family, I know my heavenly father is still here. And I know he loves me in my family more than dad ever could and because he is love and I know that he is taking care of me in my family and so I just want to say dad I'm going to miss you and I already do but by the grace of God I'm going to see him again Our next hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Please rise together with me to sing.
Let us now come to the Lord our God in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, who taught us not to grieve as the world grieves for those who have died in Christ Jesus, we give you thanks that you have delivered your servant from the burdens of this life. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you supplied to Brandon for all of his days, and having finished his course in faith, now rests from his labors in your glorious presence. Almighty God, who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, look with compassion on your servants whose joy has been turned to sorrow. Do not leave us without comfort, but draw us closer to you and to one another in this difficult time. Fill our souls with the peace and comfort of your presence and grant such a vision of that life which is to come, and to which Brandon has now entered, that tears may be wiped away, and your people might find strength and comfort in you. Most merciful Father, teach us to so number our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. By your grace, grant us true faith in Christ Jesus, who made atonement for sin by his shed blood, who by his own death has destroyed the power of death, and who by his glorious resurrection has opened up the kingdom of heaven to all who believe in him. Grant us strength that we may die daily to sin and at all times submit to your holy will. By your Holy Spirit, lead us through this present life in faith and obedience so that when we have served you in our generation, and our last hour shall come. We might be gathered into your presence together with all the departed saints. Receive our souls to yourself and grant that at the last day our bodies may rise again from the grave through Jesus Christ our Lord. God of all grace, who did send our Savior Jesus Christ to bring life and immortality to light, grant us the assurance of knowing that because he lives, we who are one with him by faith shall also live, and that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Amen. A scripture lesson this morning. <clears throat> comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6 and verse 27. Hear now the inspired word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Go on believing in God. Go on believing in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would, not, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How are we able to know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
The grass withers and the flower fades. This, the word of the Lord, endures forever. When we come to chapter 14 in John's gospel, we find the disciples here facing a very harsh reality. Because at the end of chapter 13, he told them, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He'd actually been telling them this for quite a while. But for the first time, they were finally starting to get it. They were beginning to realize they had to prepare for a transition that laid in front of them. For life without Jesus' physical presence in their midst. And the thought of him departing to a place where they could not follow him, it was devastating to them. They'd given up everything they knew to be his disciples. Now he was going away. But Jesus doesn't leave them in despair. Here in chapter 14, we see, rather, he gives them a sure and a certain hope. Verses 1 to 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Go on believing in God. Go on believing in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What's the remedy for a troubled heart, for a discouraged heart, a heart battered by life, a heart that's sorely oppressed, a heart looking for answers that this world has no ability to provide? Jesus says, go on believing in God. Go on believing in me. Believe. The answer, the remedy, the certain and steadfast hope is faith and trust in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here you see Jesus putting himself on the same level as God the Father. You see him saying to his disciples, you've believed in me up to this point. And now that you're facing this difficult change in the immediate future, go on believing in me. Go on trusting in me as you always have done. And I want you to also notice how this certain hope, it reaches beyond the grave. Jesus turns their focus away from their present distress. And he directs their focus to the future. A future that he himself secures. He uses figurative language here to describe a glorious home that awaits the children of God beyond this life. And he likens it to a house that has many dwelling places inside. A house that he is going to prepare. And look at how he drives home that point. By appealing to his own character. By appealing to their experience with him. I have always spoken the truth to you, he says. You can trust me now, even as you always have. So here, the hope for the disciples, indeed the hope for all of God's people, of life beyond the grave, is rooted in the most certain of all realities, the faithfulness and trustworthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus had to leave them. He had to go, he had to prepare this place. In other words, the way to the place he speaks of here, it had to be established. It wasn't there yet. The trail, as it were, had to be blazed. 
So obviously, it's not a place we could have got to by ourselves, by our works, by any good deeds, by some forms of religiosity that we might perform in our own lives. It means that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ had to open the way for his people. And if God himself had to do it, do you understand how dire and helpless our condition must be? What Jesus was going to prepare, that sounded great, but he had to leave to do it. That was the difficult part for the disciples. And he knew how troubling it would be for them. So he gives them this great assurance. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you hear that? Do you understand what that means? It means that this place that he's going to prepare, it will certainly be occupied with his people. Because Jesus himself, he will come and he will gather them to himself. In other words, the good shepherd will not abandon his sheep. As he leads them in life, so he will come and gather them at death. And he will take them to that good place that he himself has prepared. That, brothers and sisters, is hope. That is real hope. Not hope as the world puts before us, but a sure and certain hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's real and it's concrete. But how can such a hope be theirs, his disciples? How could it be ours? How do we embrace it? How do we lay hold of that hope for ourselves? Verses 4 to 6. You know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to be able to know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Apparently, everything that Jesus was saying here was going right over Thomas's head. So when Jesus says, you know the way where I am going, he wasn't going to sit there and pretend like he knew what Jesus was talking about. And we can be pretty sure that he wasn't the only disciple that had questions. So Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? We should be thankful that Thomas was a little confused. And we should be thankful that he wasn't afraid to ask questions. Because with his answer, Jesus makes the matter crystal clear. He makes it clear for Thomas, for the disciples, and for you and I here today. You can't find the way with a road atlas. You can't find the way with Google Maps. You can't find the way with a nautical chart or with a GPS. Jesus said to him, and he says to us now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a pretty important piece of information, especially in light of what Jesus says in Matthew 7. There he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But the gate is narrow, and the way is constricted that leads to life, and few are those to find it. He goes on in chapter 22 of Matthew to say, for many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, the path to eternal life is not one that we can find or navigate on our own. But Jesus says 
He says to all of us here today, if you have me, you have everything that you need. You have the map. Indeed, you have the road itself because I am the way. Just think of the words that he uses here. I am the way. In other words, I am your accessibility. The only one through whom you can come to the Father. The only way to eternal life. I am the truth. That is, I am your reliability. More than speaking the truth, it's the idea of being firm and steadfast in his character. He is reliable. It means you can depend on Jesus. You can depend on the words that he speaks. You can bank on him. Indeed, there is nothing more certain. I am the life. I am your victory. I am the one who can take you through death, who can grant you eternal life in the Father's house, where I have prepared a place for you. I will come for you, that you may be where I am. In John 6, he uses these words. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him on the last day. I want you to notice, and I want you to understand, he does not say here, I am one of many ways to eternal life, I am one of many ways to heaven, one of many ways to get to the Father. Why don't you just give me a try? See how it works out. See what you think. No, that isn't what he says. His words are much more narrow, aren't they? They're much more exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That doesn't leave us many options, does it? There isn't a whole lot of wiggle room there. And exclusive claims like that don't tend to sit real well with folks. That's so inflexible of you. It's so black and white. It's so cut and dry. It's just so, it's so narrow-minded. What if I want to go a different way? What if there's something else that I would rather try? Something else I would prefer. But I want you to understand if God in the person of Jesus has to come to earth to reconcile rebellious sinners to himself, does it not therefore follow that the only way to God is through him? In fact, it must be through him and through him alone. So Jesus says to Thomas, he says to his disciples, he says to you, I am all the way you need. I alone can get you to the Father. You need to understand there is no middle ground with this claim. You can't go on your merry way from this text and be indifferent to what Jesus is saying here. He is forcing you to make a decision about him. He is either a lying egomaniac, he is completely insane, Or he is exactly who he says he is. He is forcing you to make a decision. And then on the other hand, there's also something refreshing. Something that's straightforward about his words here. They aren't complicated. 
They're precise. They're clear. They're easy for us to understand, aren't they? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And with these words, Jesus shows us how Christianity is different from every other religion that you will find in this world. I've often heard that claim. Well, all religions are the same. Christianity is just in the mix with all the other ones. No, it is far different. In every other religion, the path to salvation is through your works. It's through trying to follow a code of conduct, trying to do meritorious acts or religious duties. You earn your salvation by doing what you're told. Understand what Jesus is telling us here. He says you can't do that. He is telling us that he is the path to salvation. Salvation only comes through him. Salvation is not based on what you do. We are sinners. The only thing that we can earn is God's wrath because of our sin and rebellion. Salvation is based on what Christ has done. Salvation is by grace alone. And for all who embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith, he says, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, this isn't peace as the world defines it. In the world, we define peace as the absence of war, for example, or with social harmony, or even peace of mind. This includes that, but it's far more. This is a peace that comes from being reconciled to our Creator in our whole relationship to Him. It means that we are no longer enemies of the living God. As Paul states it in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand that's the only peace that satisfies. It's the only peace that comforts, that encourages, that fortifies Christ's people, even in the midst of the stormiest seas. Even in the face of troubles, in the face of hardships, in the face of fears, in the face of loss. Do you know this peace? Do you have this peace for yourself? It's the peace that Brandon knew. And every one of you, as you've heard many testify this morning, and many of you can yourselves, It's the peace that every one of you saw in him through this struggle with cancer that kept him on his feet and that I can personally testify through my conversations with him. He wanted everyone he cared for to know for themselves. Everyone. There's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that's difficult to wrestle with in times like this. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because this is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. In other words, it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. And we think of that, particularly in this time, particularly right now, 
in the face of loss. And we say, how could we possibly consider it a good thing to lose someone that we love, to encounter death like this once again? Because this is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. Because in these moments, we are confronted with our own mortality, with the reality that our lives too will one day come to an end. And also understanding that you and I don't know what day that will be. And it prompts us to ask eternal questions. What is the purpose of all of this? Why am I here? What happens when I draw my final breath? Do the lights simply go out or is there more? And if so, what does that mean for me? And God often uses those questions to bring sinners to Christ and to strengthen the faith of those who already belong to him. You can take up the world's complaint that Jesus Christ is too exclusive in his claims. He's too narrow. He's too intolerant. Or you can put your faith and trust in the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And even as you face the trials of this life, the ravages of death, the ravages of loss, you can still thank and praise God before this world. Why? Because you will find, even as Brandon's life testified, that the Lord Jesus Christ is far more than you ever hoped he could be. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, Our only hope in life and death is Jesus the Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Grant us faith and trust in him, that we might know the joy of sins forgiven and the peace that only you can provide, peace that passes all human understanding in times of joy and times of sorrow, both in this life and the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is entitled, Here I Am, Lord, Let's Rise Together to Sing. Here I Am, Lord.
benediction. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Amen. Just an announcement for all of those who are in uh, in attendance today, you are invited to a luncheon at Huber Hall. Uh, That is at 300 South Alexandria Street in Latrobe. Again, Huber Hall. It will be immediately following the service of committal at Unity Cemetery. Thank you.